Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see everyone here tonight. <clears throat> There's a storm coming, but I think we'll be okay. Amen. Yeah, we'll, we'll all be home and tucked away before that even starts. So, praise God. Amen. God has got a plan for this service this evening. He's got a plan for you. Amen. He's got a plan for this, uh, this congregation. We want that to take place tonight. Praise God. Whatever I have planned, hopefully it's in the will of God. I pray that it is. I trust that it is. Uh, but if He wants to come in and do something else, I'm fine with that. He can do that even on a Wednesday night. Thank God. Amen. Uh, before we start, just one quick announcement. Uh, we have our annual business meeting coming up th- on Saturday, January 28th at 9 a.m. Amen. If you are a voting member, I ask that you do be there. Uh, the financials will be presented. If you want to ask any questions, uh, the, the important business of the church is taking place. Amen. And if you're a voting member, you are also vested in the business of the church. And we want to hear from you. Uh, we want you to vote. Amen. If you have a question as to whether or not you're a voting member, please come see me. I will confirm or deny that for you. Amen. But uh, please be on time. We will start promptly at 9 a.m. Amen. Let's all stand. Praise God. I'm excited about what God has in store for us tonight. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Peripheral distractions notwithstanding. God is here. And He has a plan for us this evening. Let's go to Him in prayer tonight. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. Thank You, Jesus, for Your manifest presence here tonight and for all that You have in store. We will receive tonight of the Lord our God everything that You have for us tonight. We will receive the Word of the Lord. We will submit ourselves unto it as unto God. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is our desire to move forward in You. It is our desire to serve and to please the Lord our God in all that we do, say, and think. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've afforded us this evening to enter into Your presence, to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch, to spend time in Your presence. As we sit at Your feet, Lord, we desire to be transformed into Your glorious image. Help us, Thou Most High God, to do all that we can to enter into Your presence tonight, to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch, to receive of You. Hallelujah, Jesus! We pray that Your wondrous and glorious and excellent name would be glorified here tonight in our midst. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. In fact, I think I want to sing a song tonight. Come on, let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Come on, let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Oh, let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Can we praise Him tonight? Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is worthy of our worship and of our praise. He's worthy of all glory and all honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because He brought us out and He set us free. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have complete freedom and liberty in Jesus tonight. Praise God.
Praise God. Those things that we were bound in, those things that we were addicted to, we're free tonight. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Amen. If you turn into your Bibles tonight, if you have them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. It is my desire tonight, with the help of the Lord, to begin our uh, study into doing, becoming, and doing. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, we'll read the first two verses there. The Bible says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection from the dead and of eternal life. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. It was my desire to have a handout for everyone tonight, but uh, Satan possessed every printer that I have access to. Amen. So I'm in the midst of rebuking that. But in the meantime, I have no handout. <laughs> so, amen. <clears throat> there is... Uh, when we're talking about constructing, construction, constructing a house, everyone understands, even if you've never lifted a hammer, even if you've never pounded a nail, uh, you understand a few basic fundamental things. We understand that a foundation is necessary. We understand that a foundation, however necessary it is, is not the house. It's a foundation. And we build the house on the foundation. The house is what we desire. The house is what we live in. The house is what everyone looks at. If you've ever seen that in a house, either A, you've worked in construction, or B, you've had a house built. Amen. Uh, I've done both. And uh, when I was hanging sheetrock, that's typically what we'd come into right there. There'd be insulation in the, in the walls there. But uh, otherwise, uh, that was about it. And uh, it is, most people would not consider that move-in ready. There's a little bit more that needs to take place. There's a wood floor on top. There's a cement slab on the bottom. And uh, some wood. Maybe some windows, hopefully a roof. But that's, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot there. That's not move-in ready. Most people would say that that is not finished. It's not complete. And in our Christian walk, this Scripture verse that we're talking about tonight talks about foundational things and moving on from them. Now, we're going to talk about that. What does that mean exactly? Uh, but just keep this in mind. The foundation is not the house. Foundation is extremely important. That comes first. If you don't have a good foundation, the house is not going to last very long. My wife and I, we lived in a house in Galesville here a few years ago, several years ago now. Uh, I called it the fun house because every year the stairs going up shifted a little bit more and a little bit more. And it was, it was a gradual shift. I didn't really notice it. But people coming over for the first time would get dizzy walking up those stairs. And if we, if we put a vacuum cleaner on one end of the room by the wall, it would roll down toward the center. It would do that in every single room. Why did that happen? Well, the foundation wasn't all that solid. It would, it would rise and it would fall every, every winter. The frost would, would push it up and then it would sink back down and did that every year. I'm glad to be out of the fun house because I don't know how long it's going to stand. <laughs> so that's constructing a house. How do we construct a life? How do we construct a Christian walk? 
this foundation, these foundational doctrines that the Scripture speaks of. The first thing we need to understand before we move forward is we cannot lose our fundamental doctrines. We cannot lose them. We cannot forget them. They are our foundation. We can't set them aside. We can't think at some point in our Christian walk they're no longer important. They will always be important. I don't care how big a house that you build. That foundation, you don't mess with it. You start seeing cracks in it, you got a serious problem. But at the same time, we can't stay there either. We cannot always be laying a foundation in our lives. We've got to go on and build the rest of the building. So what are the foundations? Well, the Scripture verse lists these. Repentance from dead works. Conversion, regeneration, if you will. This is extremely important. This is a foundational aspect of our Christian walk. Without repentance, we, we can't move forward at all. We've got to come to a place of repentance in our lives. We die to our old natures when we come to Christ in repentance. In the Old Testament... This was represented by death on an altar of sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice was a type and a shadow. That whole process was a type and a shadow of Christ's death. The sacrificial lamb represented Jesus Christ. When we think of repentance, for us it's a place of death. We die out to our old nature, our old self. In the New Testament... This is death on a cross. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. But as important as repentance is, we can't live there. We can't stay there in a place of repentance. Always sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting. That's not the will of God. That's not supposed to be. This idea that, well, let's move on. We were crucified once. We repented. We died to our old selves. We've got to remain constantly vigilant, however, against our old nature. Okay, there is that aspect. But we've already died. We've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 5 and 24 says, They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Have crucified is past tense. There was a point in my life where I was crucified with Christ. And I thank God for that. But it's done. How many times was Jesus crucified? One time. We don't keep Jesus on the cross. He's resurrected. And we celebrate that. We thank God for His sacrifice at Calvary. That was, a necessary, that was, that was absolutely necessary for us. But He's not there anymore. He's resurrected. And so are you. You are resurrected in newness of life. You are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Repentance is absolutely vital. It's necessary. We can't move forward without it. But we cannot stay there. We've got to move on. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Am crucified. Present tense. I am presently crucified with Christ. Amen. And again, thank God for it. Now, there is this battle, this war because I am a new creature, because there is a new nature inside of me, and an old, 
that are constantly struggling. They're warring the one against the other. Romans chapter 7 speaks of this. Verses 21 through 23 says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Romans 8.13 says, If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So we see this principle in Scripture. I have been crucified. I am presently crucified. That's taken care of. But this war is going on, this struggle. And I've got to remain vigilant. I have got to remain constantly vigilant against my old nature. It will rear its ugly head. Not when I'm strong, not when I'm spiritual, but when I'm weak, when I'm frustrated, when I'm tired. That's when it will come. I have got to be vigilant against that. I have got to remain crucified. I cannot allow myself to slip back into my old nature because that's entirely possible. I can make poor choices. I can decide, I'm done with this. I'm going back. I cannot let myself get there. I cannot listen to my flesh. I cannot listen to the world, the enemy. I must listen to the the Word of God. I must listen to Jesus in my life. The Spirit in me. That's what I feed. That's what I focus on. That's what I try to strengthen and utilize. My old nature, I crucify. I put Him into subjection. I bring all thoughts into into obedience to Christ. But that takes discipline. That takes the Spirit of God working in me, working in you to constantly do that. Folks, listen. We have... Power. We have authority over sin. Sin does not have authority in my life anymore. When sin comes knocking, I have the power and the authority to tell it no. I didn't before. I was in bondage to sin. I had no choice but to act according to my nature. But I have a new nature now. I say all that to say this. I don't have to live there anymore. I don't have to live constantly... Falling, getting up, falling, getting up, falling, getting up. That's not the plan of God. That's not the will of God. He didn't save me for me to stay there. I've got to move on from there. And He's given us the ability to do exactly that. We've got to start building the house. Mentions faith toward God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. First thing we need to do is we need to be convinced and persuaded beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does indeed exist. That's the first order of business. If I don't believe God exists, I'm not going to go any farther than that. I have got to be persuaded. I've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He exists, that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When I seek His face, I'm going to be found of Him. When I approach Jesus, He's going to approach me. This is so important. The existence of God is declared in the very first verse of Scripture. In the beginning, God. The author of the book The author of the book says that it is that important. The very first verse declares the existence of God. I am. I'm here. I exist. And He goes on to show us who He is. But we've got to believe that He is. And that when we call out to Him, when we cry out to Him, He answers. 
when we come to Him in repentance, He answers with forgiveness. We must know and be persuaded of His attributes and characteristics. It is very important for us to know who God is. Not just that He exists. A lot of people will say, yeah, I believe God exists. But He's a mean old ogre. He's just sitting up there waiting for me to mess up so He can get me. Or He's an absentee parent. He He doesn't care one way or the other. Yeah, He's up there, but so what? It's important for us to understand who God is. Who's the God that you worship? Who's the God that you serve? Is it that kind of a God? A mean old ogre? Waiting for you to mess up, just throwing things into your life so you'll trip and fall? And then giggle? People have that concept of God, folks. That's not a proper concept. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Do we know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent? Do we know that God is one? That He's immutable. He doesn't change. Do we understand what His attributes, His characteristics are? Love, mercy, grace, compassion. He's a God of holiness, justice, righteousness. Do we know these things? On this side of eternity, we're never going to understand the totality of who God is. He's infinite. We, we simply don't have the tools for that. But those things that He has revealed to us in Scripture, those we've become responsible for, we've got to understand those things. We've got to know those things and be persuaded of them. But once persuaded and convinced of these truths, they should never come into question again. Again, there is no need to lay this foundation once it's been laid. We read of this happening in the life of John the Baptist. Later on in his ministry, he was in prison. And he sent people to Jesus questioning, Is it you that we're looking for or should we look for another? I'm no longer convinced that you're the Messiah. I'm not sure anymore. Now, I'm not going to criticize or condemn anyone for getting to that place, but what I am saying is this. I understand a couple processes, a couple paths to that, but we should never get on that path in the first place. There's no reason to step foot on that path in the first place. If we have some things settled already in our hearts, We've got to have truth settled in our hearts. We've got to have these foundational aspects settled in our hearts. And once they are, folks, we can build on them. We don't have to revisit them. Doctrine of baptisms. We understand baptism is vital for salvation. John 3.5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And Colossians 2 and 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the, of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. We need an understanding of, of what baptism is, why it's important. We definitely need to understand that. We need to participate in that, submit ourselves to water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. That's where we are adopted into His family. That's where His name is pronounced over us. And we become a child of God, adopted into His family. Amen. That's important. It's absolutely vital. We've got to understand that. We've got to be convinced and persuaded of that. 
But again, once undertaken, it's not necessary to revisit this. We're baptized once. Now there are those that, for whatever reason, they, they like to be rebaptized. I have no problem with that. But as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, as far as the Bible is concerned, if you're baptized in Jesus' name, in immersion, you're good. That's good. Baptized in full immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, that's, that meets the qualifications. We don't have to get rebaptized every time we fail. We don't have to get rebaptized every time we move forward in God. It's done. It's taken care of. All right, laying on of hands. This represents several important concepts. The first is the office of prayer. We lay hands on one another in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. We understand as biblical Christians that prayer is absolutely necessary. It's vital. It doesn't tie into the plan of salvation specifically. But, you can't stay saved without it. I promise you that. You will fail. You will fall. You will walk away if you do not pray. Jesus says in the Gospels, that He's the vine and we're the branches. One way that we stay attached to the vine is through prayer. We have got to maintain communication with God. We've got to maintain a relationship with Him. For a while, my wife and I were separated physically. Not separated marital problems, but she was living in one state, I was living in another state. I was in the Air Force at the time, and anyway... It was horrible. <clears throat> she would come every once in a while and visit. But folks, it's very difficult to maintain a close relationship without physical proximity. It can be done. I mean, we didn't have really a choice. But it's just not the same. It's not the same. Long-distance communication, long-distance relationships... They're not the same. They're not the same. I want to, I want to, I want FaceTime. And not Apple. Not Apple anything. <laughs> Personal preference. Some of you like Apple. That's great. I just, I've never used it. I can't get used to it. Anyway. Old dog, new tricks, I guess. Um, but I, I want to see the person's face. And when it's my wife, I'm going to hold her hand every once in a while. <clears throat> I want physical proximity. That applies with any relationship. In our relationship with God, we have got to stay close to God. The closer we stay to God, the better relationship we're going to have. The clearer we're going to hear His voice. If I'm at the other end of the house... Good luck trying to get a hold of me. My wife, when I'm upstairs and she's in the office, she's got to give me a call. Because there's no way I'm going to hear her way up there. She can yell, scream. Someone could put her on a rack and, and I wouldn't hear anything. <clears throat> I'm too far away. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to God in your relationship, your walk. Stay close to Him in prayer. Listen for His voice. He speaks to us. Just because we're not hearing anything doesn't mean He's not trying to speak to us. Maybe we're too far away. Maybe there's other voices in our life that, that are clamoring and cluttering up our, our hearing. Listen for His voice and stay close to Him. We have got to maintain a relationship with Him in prayer. We lay hands on people when we're to, uh, praying to receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 8.17 Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Acts 19 and 6 When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them 
They speak with tongues and prophesied. So again, not only praying for someone to receive the Holy Ghost, but the doctrine of receiving the Holy Ghost is absolutely necessary for our salvation. That's the earnest of our inheritance. It's the perfect will of God for all people everywhere to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is. And I know those of you that are praying for the Holy Ghost, I can relate. It took me well over a year between the time I was baptized and the time I received the Holy Ghost. There are others that it takes longer. I don't know why in their case. I know why in my case. I was disobedient. Looking back on my life, imagine that. God wanted me to do something. I didn't want to do it. So I didn't. And I didn't get the Holy Ghost. I finally had enough of it. I said, fine, I'll do it. Very first service after that, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm sure it was a coincidence. That was my case. That was my deal. In any case, it was always the will of God for me to have the Holy Ghost. Always. And it is for you too. Healing. Gifts of healing. Mark 16, 18. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Acts 28 and 8. It came to pass that the father of Publicus lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Amen. So healing comes when the people of God lay their hands on you and pray in Jesus' name. The power of God flows through that. I don't know what the exact deal is with laying on hands, I, but it works and it's biblical. Amen. <clears throat> Elders will lay hands on people when they commission individuals into ministry. Acts 6, 5 and 6 says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parthenos, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. They commissioned them into a particular ministry. Acts 13 and 3, When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Amen. So, this idea of laying on hands, praying for different things, commissioning, these are all vital. They're necessary for us to understand. They play into every aspect of our walk with God. From the salvation all the way to entering into the ministry that God has called us to. Every step of the way. It's, under, it's vital for us to understand these things. But once again... Understanding the efficacy and the truth of these offices, it can never be lost. We need to understand them. But it shouldn't ever need to be learned again. Once we're commissioned into ministry, that should be it. Once we receive the Holy Ghost, that should be it. I shouldn't need a refilling, I should stay full. I have that option. It's the will of God for me to stay full. I don't have to hit a dry season, not spiritually. I can hit a, I can hit a dry season in prayer in that I can't always feel the presence of God. Okay? That is a thing. But even in that, it's fine. I can't feel the presence of God. I don't walk by feeling. I don't need the feeling. I like the feeling. I enjoy the feeling. I don't need it. I'm not living according to that. I'm living according to Scripture. Scripture says he's a friend that's six closer than a brother. He's as close as the mention of his name. I know he's right there in the room with me, even though it seems like he's a million miles away. Truth says, the Bible says, he's right here, whether I feel him or not. And who cares if I get the, the Pentecostal goosebumps? I'm doing the right thing. I'm pleasing my Creator, my Savior, when I come to Him in prayer. I'm ministering to Him however I can by 
by coming to Him in prayer, by worshiping Him, by thanking Him for the goodness in my life, His goodness in my life. I'm doing those things that please Him. I'm not going to prayer because it's pleasing me. Oftentimes it does please me, but not all the time. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's a chore. But it pleases God. And I, I'm so thankful that I can do things that please Him. It wasn't always the case, but it is today. I have a choice. Resurrection of the dead. We've got to understand as biblical Christians that this life is not all there is to existence. There is a large growing sect of individuals in our culture that want to tell us exactly that. All of reality can be summed up by what I can taste and touch and feel and see and smell. If I can't do that, it doesn't exist. Is that true? How do you know that's true? Anyway, the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says there's a life after this one. That this is, this is, death is a transition. And that's why, should the Lord Terry and I end up getting planted, I wanted a celebration. Don't anybody cry for me. I'm home. I made it. And if you, this might be the wrong attitude. But if you pray and get me resurrected, after I made it home, I'm going to punch you in the throat. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Or give the glory to God, but I'm going to be mad. I was home. Why did you bring me back here? Amen. Maybe it doesn't operate like that. Maybe I won't know until the the resurrection. I don't know. In any case, there's a life after this one. That's the life that we live for. That's our hope. We've got to understand that. When things in this life get us down, situations, circumstances are hard and difficult, and they will be. They have been. They will be again. This is life. This is life in a fearful, fallen world. Amen. And it's not going to stop being fearful and fallen until we get home. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And what a comfort those words are. Amen. Whatever circumstance and situation happens in this present life is temporary. It's transient. It's going to pass. Those aches and pains, brothers and sisters, they will pass. None of that's going to be up in heaven. And although this comforts us, it cannot comfort the unbeliever. It will do the exact opposite to the unbeliever. But again, either way, the truth is the truth. This doctrine of annihilation, I live, I die, and that's it. I get recycled into a fern or a goat, and that's all there is. There is no judgment. I won't have to answer for anything. Folks, when you're taught that, how do you think your life is going to end up? If you really follow through with that belief system. If you really follow through as if there is, I'm not going to answer for anything. Someone takes that seriously, how do you think they're going to respond to that? What choices are they going to make with their life? All these people that end up shooting the schools up, and then what do they do afterward? 
No, they kill themselves. Almost without, without exception. They'll shoot everybody up they can, and then they kill themselves. So they, because they believe they won't have to answer for it now. Got off scot free. But we know that's not the truth. They know now. But there is an afterlife. And that leads us to the next subject judgment. Eternal judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We are all going to live forever somewhere. And that place will be determined by the righteous judge. That judgment will be determined based on our choices here in this life. What we did with this life. Did we submit ourselves to our Creator? Did we serve Him? Or did we serve someone else? We all need a proper understanding that one day our Savior will become our judge. And that is the truth, folks. Today He is our Savior. Thank God. The door to the ark is still open. Whosoever will can come in and receive salvation from God. But that day is soon coming to an end. God is going to shut the door. And after that, it's not going to open again. That's it. We can't play with that, and they shouldn't play with that. Judgment is coming to all people. Every word that we speak, every thought that we think, every action that we take will be weighed in the balance. Now for the Christian, it's already been weighed. Jesus paid for all of it. And can pay, can still pay for all of it. But if I go before the righteous judge without that, without the blood of Jesus covering my sins, then I have to answer to it myself. And I'm responsible for everything that I've said, everything that I've done, everything that I've thought. And if it doesn't measure up to His righteousness, I'm done. I'm done. All of, these found, all of these doctrines are foundational. They're necessary to understand and, and apply in our lives. We've got to. We've got to know them. We've got to accomplish every one of them in our lives. But they're foundational. We can't live there. We can't stay there. We must continue on to perfection. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ... These various offices are given to the church. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word perfect there means complete. Unto completion. The house has to be built. It's got to be completed. We certainly can't stay with a foundation. That doesn't help anybody out. No one's going to live in a foundation. Those sticks that were raised up, that's a little better. It can hold a roof, but it's not going to do you much good in the wintertime. A windy rain. It's got to be completed. Built to completion. What is completion? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we become Christ-like when we accurately and properly reflect His image, we are complete in Him. God is building a house in us as it were, and these are merely the foundational principles upon which He will build. Again, 
The foundation has to be laid and it's got to be strong. If he is going to build a, a, a solid structure, it's got to be strong. And if he is going to build a big structure, the foundation has to be wide. But at some point, you've got to start building the house. No one's going to buy a foundation. God gives us ministers in our lives for this very purpose. Colossians 1 and 28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's my responsibility to you. That's the minister's responsibility. Is to present you to Christ perfectly. I take it very seriously. And with the help of the Lord, folks, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to do exactly that. It's God's will that everybody be perfected or completed and enter into ministry. Amen. That's God's perfect will. God supplies His church ministers and leaders to make sure that happens. It's not just my responsibility. There are other ministers here, and there will be other ministers here. The whole body of Christ. Amen. The whole body of Christ. It takes all of God's people to do all of God's work. And it's a process. We will continue to equip, train, build up until maturity is achieved. That happens at different rates and at different times for everyone. Absolutely. But it's got to continue. The process has to keep moving forward. If the contractor comes and the house hasn't been touched for a month and a half, we got a problem, don't we? What's the reason for this? The contractor wants it built so he can go sell it. He can't sell a bunch of sticks. No one's going to buy that. Or if they do, at a deep discount. It's got to be built. It's God's will for us that we grow, that we go on unto perfection, that we move from childhood to maturity. That's God's will for everybody. That's growth. That's life. If we're living, folks, we're growing. If we're not growing, we're dead. That's right. Every Christian should grow until they enter into a meaningful, fulfilling ministry. However, for one reason or another, we can find ourselves in, in a place where we're not growing like God wants us to. We can find ourselves stalled out, distracted, frustrated. No one wants to be there. No Christian that loves God and loves truth wants to be there. You want to move forward. You want to get to a place where you can serve Jesus the way He wants you to. I read this uh, article in a, a previous message. I'm going to read it to you again. Daryl Waugh from an article called Stuck in Your Past and Blocked from Your Future. He says this, Too many of us are stuck in the past while being blocked from our future. We all have a history. Some experiences bring back memories of joy, hope, love, and innocence. Other memories bring back feelings of cruelty, anger, sorrow, guilt, and resentment. Our experiences are as unique to us as we are individual. Nothing is perfectly replicated. With a past that is defined by pure happiness and success, continuing to move forward is simple. Life is wonderful. Let's keep rocking. I'll take more of the same, please. Life is grand. Rainbows and butterflies. That's not reality. This is the life of the sheltered. As pleasant as it sounds, living a charmed life by no means prepares you for the realities of life. Entitlement is toxic. Life will never just give. There's taxation on everything. What you receive must come at a price. Be it your freedom, your integrity, your conscience, or your wallet. Life will make you pay the other side of the equation. It is an eternal truth. If anything too challenging comes along, or our path is somehow modified, we get knocked off course. We're unprepared to withstand the turbulence. 
we are too easily defeated with no battle experience. We become irrational and full of anxiety and stress. We are incapable of being present. We cannot function accordingly. We need to face challenges in our life. We need to struggle and the inescapable resistance that real life presents for us to grow. Having lived these various challenging experiences, we are directed towards new goals, a new purpose, and our calling. The longer we stay dormant, continually trying to further reconcile our past, the less likely we are to move forward. What we need to understand is that your purpose and your contribution won't directly inspire you. It's the actual process of beginning to work on your calling, regardless of how makeshift it is, will become the genius, I'm sorry, the genesis of your inspiration and momentum. The more we put into it, the more it becomes who we are. It begins to compound. It grows exponentially if you're willing to make the effort. Residing in the abyss of the past and fearing your future is akin to being immersed in quicksand. You're unable to move forward and you'll sink deeper by staying put. You must take action and move forward. You deserve to live. Amen. Whatever we do in life, whatever we do in our walk with God, is going to come at a price. We've also got to understand that whatever we choose not to do also carries a price. Every decision that we make has consequences. I don't care... And if you don't make a choice, that carries consequences as well. You're not going to escape consequences. Whatever you do or don't do, they're going to be right there for you. So in reality, what we're we're really talking about is choosing our consequences. We can choose our consequences, folks. How awesome is that? What consequences do you want? What consequences are are too much to pay? Sometimes our choices will lead to short-term negative consequences so that we can achieve long-term positive consequences. Those are probably the best paths to take. The pay now, play later. When we pay up front, it's always cheaper. Sacrifice a little bit in the present to enjoy a positive future. The kingdom of God is no different. When I discipline myself today, when I get up early to pray before I go to work, when I study Scripture and I discipline myself to do that, when I'm in service, every time the doors are open, I'm faithful to the house of God. God recognizes that. I don't have time to play the games that that my friends are playing right now. I don't have time to do this or that. I don't have the money. I gave my money in missions. I gave my money here to the work of God. But someday God's going to bless that. And that individual may never be blessed financially. He may never be blessed according to any definition of the world. But spiritually, I promise you, I promise you by the authority of the Word of God, He will be blessed spiritually. His walk with God will be powerful. He will hear the voice of God. His ministry will be blessed. Because he or she decided to discipline himself or herself today. They will be blessed. Their walk with God will be blessed. Versus the other. Just kind of go with the flow. Make service when I can. Give when I feel like I have an extra amount of money. Pray when I feel like it. Read the Word of God when I feel like it. Spoiler alert, eventually you'll never feel like it. That individual at blessed will never go at best will never go anywhere with God. They will never move forward in Him. They will stay exactly where they're at at best. Probably they'll backslide.
God's will for us to grow, to move forward. But again, folks, it's got to be on purpose. We've got to choose to do that. We've got to discipline ourselves day by day and do the things that are right. We've got to do the things that are right. Is it AA that says, just make the next right choice? Some organization does that. I, I thought that was pretty good. And AA, they're probably as effective as they can be without God, uh, which is to say not very effective. But we can just make the next right choice. If you don't know what that next choice is, ask God. Ask counsel of your elders. Look at the Word of God. Make the next right choice. It may lead to easy street. It may lead to, to a difficult place in your life. It doesn't matter. It's the next right choice. Do it because it's right. Do it because it's the will of God. Do it because it pleases and serves Him. I'm not in this. You're not in this. I believe to serve your own interests. You're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and advance His interests, advance His kingdom. We've got to grow. We've got to enter into the place that God has prepared for us, that God has called us unto. Amen. When we do, when we arrive there, Whatever, whatever you can imagine success being like, whatever you can imagine the, the pinnacle of, of success, the pinnacle of happiness, the pinnacle of, of whatever that is, when we get to the place where God wants us, that pales in comparison. There is a fulfillment. There is a joy. There is a, there is a peace. There is a blessing. When we enter into the place that God has called us to, prepared for us, it's like a, a, the perfect puzzle piece. When we slip into that, it's perfect. It's perfect. All of the good, none of the bad. That's what walking with Jesus is. Out there there's bad. In the physical, yeah. Bad things happen. But in the spirit, nothing bad needs to happen. I have power, I have authority over circumstance and situation. I have power and authority over sin, demons and devils. Nothing can affect me here Unless I let it. Yes, no, maybe. Okay. I believe that. I believe it. <clears throat> so let's start walking forward. If you haven't already, some of you already have. If you haven't started walking forward, consider it. I know it's scary. Change is always scary. But change is necessary. It's necessary, folks. Me? I happen to be one of those weirdos that really enjoy change. <clears throat> I do. Sometimes I, I make things happen in my life so that I get to experience change. And deal with the fallout. But uh, most people don't, and I, I've come to understand that. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. <clears throat> but uh, change is difficult. Change is, is, is not in most people's comfort zone. We understand that. But it is necessary. Life is change, folks. I can't stay a baby my whole life. I've got to change. I've got to start looking beautiful like this. Lose, lose the cocoon of hair that I had. 
so that the butterfly can come out. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We need to change. We need to grow. We need to enter into the ministry that God has called us to. Praise God. Let's all stand. It starts to get weird. It's time to close. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the Word of God. I'm thankful for the calling that you've called each of us to.